Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. This week on our panel, we have AJ O'Neill. Yo, 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 coming at you live from sunny, pleasant, pleasant Grove. Amy Knight. Hey, hey, from a gloomy Nashville. Steve Edwards. Hello from sunny Portland. Dan Shapiro. Hey, coming at you from Tel Aviv, where it was sunny, now it's night, still under lockdown, hopefully not for too long, though. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest. It's Gil Tayar. Hi, everybody. Uh, also from Tel Aviv, uh, starting our Independence Day celebrations here. Oh, congrats. If you're a front-end developer looking for remote work, then I recommend G2i, a React and React Native-focused hiring platform that will connect you directly with their clients that need your skill set. What makes G2i a unique hiring experience is that they spend the time marketing you to their clients of your choice. G2i is a team of engineers that technically vets you upfront. If you pass their vetting, their clients have agreed to skip their initial interview process, saving you time and energy getting your next gig. They take care of all the hard work for you so you can get focused on development. To join G2i, go to g2i.co and apply. So Dan set this up, and I'm going to let him introduce what's going on. Gil, we've had you on before, though, I'm pretty sure. Do you want to just remind people who you are? Yep, I'm senior architect, whatever that means, at Apple Tools. I designed and, and architected and built the Visual Grid. I'm also a developer advocate, go to conferences, blog posts, Twitter, whatever, like part-time-ish thing. And basically, it's 30, 35 years in, in the industry, so did a lot. Cool. All right. So, so Dan, you were giving us kind of an intro before the intro. And all I really heard was that AJ's a contrarian. So do you want to tell us what the deal is here? <laughs> so yeah, for sure. So um, I think right before we went into lockdown, uh, there was this uh, conference in Tel Aviv called No TLV. I actually missed that conference because I've, I already put myself in lockdown. That being said, I did watch all the videos. And one of the great videos from that conference was uh, Gil speaking about ESM modules and how great they are in general and how great they are in particular in Node and the fact that Node now finally has good support for them. And I thought it was an excellent topic on conversation. So I wanted to, to have Gil here on the show. Blessing. <laughs> so do you want to give us, Gil, kind of the 10,000-foot view as far as you know, what the uh, ESM modules are and how they work in general. I think, I think some people are going to be familiar and some people kind of take for granted how they work, may have used them and not realized it. So yeah, just give us a rundown and then we can talk about what it means in Node. Sure. ES modules are, like, first things first, they are a feature of JavaScript since ES6, ES 2015. So they're with us for five or six years already. Basically, they haven't been implemented. They're the last ES6 feature that's been implemented. They've started to become implemented on the browser, like natively, and now in Node.js uh, natively. But people have been using them for five years, not natively, but rather by transpiling them. And we'll talk a bit later about, I mean, what, what does transpiling ES modules do in Node.js and, and in the browsers? There's a whole history there and a lot of stuff that's really, really confusing because of that history and because everything is so late in the game. Hopefully, this, this episode will uh, you know, remove a lot of that confusion. Just to add to that, just to maybe to clarify, when we say ES modules, what we practically mean is the uh, import keyword and the export keyword and the export default keyword combination and so forth, right? 
Exactly. Let, let's think pre uh, ES modules days. What, what I mean, back in the days, I mean, really back in the days, JavaScript didn't even have a module system. It never did. Like there was one big script source and people worked with that and that was fine back in the, you know, MySpace days and GeoCity days. Uh, but then things started to become bigger and bigger. The source code became bigger and bigger and people wanted to separate them into separate files, which makes sense. What people did in the JavaScript well in JavaScript was because there was no module system, they invented one. And then we had things like people don't remember that today, but Dan probably does. AMD and RequireJS were the two more popular ones. They were this weird stuff where you wrote the files and then there was this thing that combined them all into one and like hooked them with various means. I think Google Closure also did a sort of a module thing. But in the end, the browser, and we're talking browser days, pre-Node.js, the browser had to have just one script source. So basically all the files were combined into one. That was pre-ESM. Now, even pre-ESM, Node.js comes to the scene. Node.js had to have a module system because writing, you know, server-side code with one big file doesn't make sense. So they borrowed one, something that wasn't really used back then, but Node.js made very popular. It was CommonJS. CommonJS is what is now used in Node.js for a module system. It's, it's that require load dash or require foo or whatever, where you write a file uh, what is called a module. You do a module.exports and export whatever you want on that exports object. And when you require that file, uh, Node.js basically uh, runs the file, takes the module.exports objects and returns it as a return value of the require. So it's a really, really cool and simple module system. Love it. I mean, when I saw it, it was like, oh, this is so simple. Makes total sense. And, and that was Node.js. That was pre ES6. And then in the ES6 people came and said, no, we need a you know a real module system, something that is part of the language. Something and, that breaks the language, you mean? Well, that, that's I mean, conditional a lot of things break the language. Object.assign breaks the language, for of breaks the language, async away breaks the language, promises break the language. Wait, how does object.assign break the language? I mean, it's not backward compatible. How is it not backwards compatible? No, not object assigned. Okay, before no, away, actually object assigned I, as well. If you happen to have, if somebody happened to have to put an assign method on object on the global object instance, and then you get object assigned as part of the language, then all of a sudden you have a problem, and there's that famous uh, smoosh gate, because well, what was it, uh, Mutools or somebody put uh, flat or flatten on arrays, and suddenly you couldn't do array dot flat because that broke existing well, code. Right, but, sorry, but th that's different. an edge case. That's definitely an edge case. But, I mean, any feature, any syntactic feature in ES6, 7, 8, whatever, breaks previous languages. I mean, that's why we transpiled to ES5, because all those language features don't work in previous JavaScript syntax. A lot of Java, new JavaScript breaks old JavaScript. That, that's what new JavaScript features are. They're basically additions too. So yeah, any addition breaks previous language, but that's fine. That's how languages evolve. All languages evolve that way. And, and having, I mean, good or bad, I try not to, I mean, not having a module system, but rather clutching something 
from from like require and everything is fine and it works really well for Node.js, but you know it's not part of the language and and a lot of tooling it has problems with that and everything. I think I think making modules a part of the language just like I mean. Is there any language other than JavaScript that doesn't have a module system? Well, C++ in some ways doesn't have a module system, C and C++, because they have this weird combination of JS include, uh, hash include, and whatever. But other than that, all languages have a module system, and like JavaScript wanted one. So they designed one. It's, it's ESM, ES modules, which is, as Dan Sapir said, import something from whatever and export default and export const x equals whatever. It's a land and it, it, and it actually, I mean, definitely broke the language, but it's become immensely popular in the front end world. I mean, most code today, whether it's Angular, React, or Vue, uses ES modules in the, in the language. They're transpiling it, and, and we can talk a lot about how they're transpiling it, but syntax-wise, they're definitely using ES modules. And um, I would say yes, ES modules are definitely a native feature of React Script. I've definitely seen that. I find, I find it to be confusing because it's it came from Ruby and C Sharp. Those were the people on the committee that wanted to break the language rather than continue with the existing standard common JS, which is a module system and does work pretty darn well both in the browser and in Node, which the import stuff has not. Without well, CommonJS doesn't work in the browser. What, what, what happens is that bundlers like Webpack, Browserify, Rollup, etc., what they do is they transpile it into one big file back again. They have no choice. No, require, require can work in the browser just fine. Not really, because require is an, a synchronous, uh, uh, it's a synchronous feature, and browser can't, can't do HTTP in a synchronous manner. They, can they actually that. can. XML HTTP request is synchronous. And it's deprecated. Uh, if you think of fetch, fetch is async only. And, and I, as, as far as I know, all uses of require, whether Webpack, Rollup, et cetera, I mean like 100% are by bundling and not by HTTP using XML HTTP. So basically require and import are being transpiled. Now, I'm, I think require is amazing. I mean, CommonJS is amazing, but it's not part of the syntax. And I think the fact- It, it is part of the syntax. It is part of the syntax. But I, I grant you the point that, like, predominantly in the browser, no, people are not using require synchronously. They're using some sort of tool that uh, gives it the ability to load asynchronously by wrapping it or perhaps converting it over to the very oddly named require.js syntax, which is actually define, not require. But yes. Yeah. Was confusing back in the days. The AMD, the AMD, AMD syntax. syntax. Yes. Yeah, which is which is a total different thing from common JS. So, not not necessarily. By the way, rollup and parcel don't don't do the web. No, they they do uh, UMD, which works both ways. Although that does introduce some issues. But the way that you then import that stuff is you either you import it either using a common JS require or using required JS. And one of them is synchronous by definition, and the other one is asynchronous by definition. And using them both within the same project is an invitation to, uh, for problems. Yep. 
So, so the, the ESP spec people, uh, rightly or wrongly, doesn't matter, define the import-export syntax, the, uh, what, what is now called ES modules. And by the way, the, the I think what the nice thing is they took the most, the best module system of the day, which is CommonJS, and they basically turned it into syntax. If you look at CommonJS and you look at ESM, they're basically the same but different syntax. The idea of default export wasn't in ESM originally, wasn't in ESM module, ESM modules, but they took it from CommonJS, and now we have export default. And named exports obviously comes from CommonJS because in CommonJS, you can, you, the exports object can be like an object with, with like the properties in it. So that's basically like named exports. So when you do import a call, a, a, B, from whatever, you're basically doing a named exports, which is similar to const A, B equals require, whatever. So the syntax is like amazingly similar. And, 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 that, and, and I think that's a good thing. I think, you know, there are quibbles on, on, on syntax and, and, and yak shading on that bike shedding. But basically, it's taking require, taking common JS and turning it into a language feature, which is, which is great. So I... I of course, disagree on this. The primary thing that comes to mind, and a lot of people are not concerned with performance anymore. A lot of people don't care about how weighty something is, you know, bundle up six megabytes of JavaScript in a file, you know, they're cool with it. But with require, you have the option both in Node and in the browser, depending on implementation, though I grant very few implementations worked in such a way. Um, But you have the option of lazy loading. For example, you know, it's very common to have a gigabyte of dependencies in your node modules folder. And if you try to load all of those at once, it's very common that a server might take 30 seconds, 45 seconds to fully boot up. Now, granted, if somebody's writing that kind of server, they're not, you know, caring much for conservation in the first place. So kind of a a bad example, but I've run into that type of issue on the Raspberry Pi. That's where even normal apps can start to become underperformant or take long load times. And you could do tricks with require to, you know, put a require on the first line for something you need right away, have some sort of init method, let things get started, let the server get going, and then start requiring other things that are needed for background tasks and et cetera, et cetera. And the import syntax does require that you have to have everything load all at once. Now, granted, you can still use require with import. There's nothing stopping you from having a require encode that has an import in it because require is well-defined. It's easy to understand. It can, you know, easily be implemented and transpiled and all that. But I think although, you know, people make the argument of tree shaking and all that with import, I, I don't, I don't understand why you can't do that with require, but import does have some disadvantages over require and the syntax breaking and also in that it functions, everything has to be uh, eager loaded to work. I totally agree in ES 2015. In ES 2018 or 2019, I don't remember, we have a weight import. So you can dynamically import lazily or dynamically import whichever module you want. And, you know, you were talking about cold starting a server. If you think about it, require is, I mean, Node.js is a totally async environment. And yet the module loading system is synchronous. That's that's uh, that's basically crazy. 
Well, um, it, it's it's not as crazy as you think because the time. So I did performance tests on this because, like I said, I had this as a real world problem. The where you lose the time is actually when you hit vm dot compile. You do not lose the time on the FS read. The FS read time is sub millisecond. The VM compile time is where you get into multiple milliseconds. Yes and no. So, okay, we're going deep into the rabbit hole. Maybe we can, you know, come all back right. to that sure, later. Sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because I have answers to all that. Uh, but hey, I'm super excited to hear about this. I did not know what you said about the 2018. Okay, so a weight so import is, an, is, a, is crazily important. Not only that, uh, in, in 2020, ES 2020, we have top level await, which means we can await import or await uh, file read on the top level and not only in an async function. But this works only if the module is an ESM module, an ES module, it cannot work in a CJS module because CJS is basically synchronous. We're getting a, li- a little bit, you know, forward uh, um, here. Let, let's 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 go back to, to the history. I, I really want to go back to the history. So you know, we're in we're we're in 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 ES six world, and we have the two. You know, we have common JS. And we have all those AMDs and everything. And then uh, up comes ES6 with, with import-export, right? Now what happened are, are two inter- amazingly interesting things in parallel. One is browse, and, 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 have, and they basically have nothing to do with one another. One is browsers started implementing ESM natively. Okay, so today in all browsers except IE, I don't care about IE, uh, you can do an import from to a file that is on your server. So you can do import from dot slash mymodule.js. Okay. And what the browser will do is will HTTP get to and bring that file and use it as an ES module. No bundling, no nothing. Uh, uh, just a quick comment, Gil, before you continue, because yes. people might be running out to try it if, they, if they're if they not familiar with it. You do need to put script type equals module for that to work. Yes, yes. The, the entry point in the HTML has to have type equals module on it. Otherwise, the script itself will be like non-module, so it can't import. Yes, thank you, Dan. Like a yeah. red-black red thing where... Red modules can import other red modules and black modules, but black modules cannot import red modules. Exactly. And, and it's basically, and they define names for those red and black. So uh, in, in ES6, you have script and module, okay? Script cannot import a module and, and uh, it go, once you're in module land, you're in module land forever. And once you're in script land, you're in script land basically forever, unless you do an await import. That, but that's uh, but, but, yes, but from module land you can still go to script land. You can import not, script from a module. Not that I know. No, not not in the browser. Not in the browser. In in Node.js, yes. Not in the browser. Okay, so uh, in the browser, red modules only support red modules. Black modules only support black modules, and there is no intermingle. Yes, and in Node.js, common JS is script, 
and yes, modules are modules. Okay. That, that Again, to interject a quick point about no mingle. Yes, they cannot mingle, but they can obviously access each other because they both see the global browser namespace. Definitely. So obviously, if, if both of them put a function on window, for example, they can definitely call each other. Uh, yes. They cannot import each other. That, that's, the, that's the important point. So I, I couldn't, from a Java module, no, wait, that's not right. But if it's if we're replacing JavaScript with Java module, no, okay. Anyway, <laughs> so if if I were to do one of those documents, uh, like window.document.body.addEvent or no add element script, blah blah blah. You know that that little trick you do sometimes to to load a script in the background, the same way that JSON P used to work. That type of trick, no worky in. A JavaScript no, module? No, 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 no. Sure. That that, that, that work. would work because no. both of them see both of them see the DOM. It's not that they each have any restriction with with regard to access to the DOM or DOM functionality. Like I said, they even can call each other's functions because you can just put the function on the window object or whatever. Uh, what you cannot do is you cannot use ES6 import or ESM import from within a regular JavaScript code that doesn't have type equals module or was originally imported from something recursively from something that had a type of module. Likewise, from within type of module, you don't do a common JS sort of a thing. I'll give like a practical example, maybe, because we were talking about this before the call. So I'm trying to um, get a really old app over to at least using some modules so that I can test it more, so I can use it test more easily. And right now, everything is just in script tags and the HTML. So what I've done is just to try to do this like piecemeal is I created a couple just regular JavaScript modules like we're used to. But then what I had to do so that I could do this like iteratively and not just do it like all in one big fell swoop is I'm having to import some of those modules in a script tag in the HTML. And and of course I had to, so that script tag, um, that's actually like there's JavaScript within that script tag and that JavaScript within the script tag, hopefully this is making some sense for people if they can like imagine this in their heads. There's actually JavaScript in that script tag inside the HTML. And that JavaScript is, uh, it was previously just using a script tag to import the file. Um, but I've changed that file to export whatever the, <laughs> I'm doing a terrible job of explaining this. I had to update the script tag from um, the, the type JavaScript to type module. But then once I did that, I'm able to import the helper module that that JavaScript in my HTML is relying on the functions for. God, that was a, I feel like no, I did a terrible beautiful. job explaining no, that. But that, that's that's beautiful because you're basically using uh, ESM the way it was meant to be as like a replacement for script. So and, instead and, of and having we, a lot of script sources, you have one script which imports a lot of a lot of modules. This is perfect. Makes sense to me, Amy. I got it. Okay, and I'm trying to like. I mean, what I'm trying to do is to try to minimize because this application really doesn't need a lot of JavaScript. But because I like testing so much, I want to be able to test it. Um, I don't want to like overcomplicate things by introducing like a bundler and, and all that stuff. I just want to use like whatever I can get that comes native in browsers, which we don't have to support IE, so I was able to do this. Perfect. The nice thing is that, well, 
if, if the code uses DOM, then it won't work, obviously. But you can run that code today in Node.js and the import-export will work. And if you use a library like JS DOM to simulate the DOM, then the same code will work both in Node.js and in the browser. That's, that's, for me, that's beautiful. One other thing I'm going to throw in super quickly. So, I mean, one of the issues that, you know, there's not a lot of, there's really nobody else on the team who knows JavaScript, but, you know, they were having to like fight issues of like the order of their script tags. And by doing this, that's no longer a problem. So there's some benefits there as well. Yep. Okay. So uh, we, we were in, in browser land, right? And, and browsers got what, what Amy was using, which is basic module support for ES6 including a weight import and everything. But the interesting thing is, if we go back to Node.js and require, require, when you do require like dot slash foo, okay? Uh, dot slash a module. It doesn't look for a module. It looks for a module.js and a module.json. And when you do a require lodash, then it doesn't look for the file lodash. It looks for node module slash lodash slash package JSON and slash index.js. It has this whole algorithm where it looks for files based on your import string, on the string you pass to require. So if it's a relative file, it will look relatively. And if it's not a relative file, if it's a bare specifier, like low dash, that's that's called a bare specifier, then it looks up upwards in the file in the in the tree for node modules. For a node modules folder with a lodash directory. So, so basically, basically, what you're saying is that even though they look like paths, what they actually are are let's call them some sort of in, in the indices into some sort of that used by some sort of an algorithm that translates them into a path, but they aren't really paths in and of themselves. Exactly. And whenever you do a require something, you're basically doing about five to 10 uh, file operations just to get at that file. Now, it works in a, in a Node.js environment because files are cheap, okay? But in browser land, you can't do that. You can't look for a file and then look for another file because each one of those is HTTP and HTTP is not cheap. Definitely not back in the days of HTTP 1. But even in HTTP 2, those things are not cheap. So browsers said, okay, we're not going to do any lookup. We're not going to support bare specifiers at all. So you can't import from Lodash. And when you're specifying a relative path, you can't do dot slash foo. You have to say dot slash foo dot JS because we're going to do an HTTP get and get that foo dot JS. And we're not going to look for foo and foo dot JS and foo dot JSON and whatever. Just give us the path. So browser land, and this is important for, we'll see in Node, for browser land, you have to specify the whole path, including the extension. That is incredibly important. And this is why, because browsers can't do HTTP like they do file systems. And I'd also argue that it is best to do it that way in Node as well, because if you haven't hit an ambiguous case where it works wrong, you will eventually. And I mean, I know a lot of people are like, well, I'd rather save... 10,000 keystrokes over the next five years, I'd rather write the extra 10,000 keystrokes on the .js and the .json and always be completely clear what happened with the module loading. Totally agree. And if you remember back then, when we talked about cold start, a lot of the time in cold start, 
is wasted on looking for all those files in the node modules and in whatever. Well, Wait not, at, not what, really, because you're usually going to get it on the first hit and even on a block device, even if it's not SSD. What, what do you mean, no, you're not going to get uh, it on the first hit? When I was at Wix, but by the way, Dan, Dan Shapiro knows me at Wix, we, we worked on this project called Wix Code, and, and then now it's called... Wait for it, Wix Corvid. Yes, I know that's uh, uh, Corvid, not COVID. <laughs> yeah, it's important to make that distinction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, marketing that's, is gonna kill not me. Unfortunate when, at all. Yeah, marketing Co- is gonna kill me when they hear me say that. But please go on. Cold start was cold start was a, a big issue because we're basically Wix Corvid or Wix Code back in the days is a serverless solution basically. And Coldstar was a big thing. And what one of our developers did was whenever we do a require, uh, you know, our whole thing doesn't require, what they do is they cache all the decisions by Node.js. And the next time that module runs, the next time the application runs, we just, you know, patch the require to just know where the files are. That saved about 30% of the Coldstar time, which is a lot. Definitely not like it's not 50%, but a big part of the cold start time in a Node.js application is spent on all those little searches. But definitely uh, you you and the Node.js modules team are on the same page in terms of let's be more specific instead of having Node.js guess what the file path is. Okay, so that's what happened in Browserland. On the Node.land, something interesting happened. Nodes started getting more and more NPM modules. NPM started to grow. And, you know, the browser people, the front-end people, remember, that's before bundling. They looked at the NPM registry and said, oh, there's a really nice things we can use there. But they couldn't use it because they were using AMD and required JS, which are like these old module systems and not common JS. So then this guy came along and wrote Browserify. That was the first bundler. What Browserify did is it took an NPM package with all those requires, transpiled all those requires, and bundled them into one big file, just like Webpack does. That was before Webpack. So now you have you can use those NPM packages that were meant for Node.js. You can use them in Browserland. You can use CommonJS in Browserland. And Browserify basically did a, a revolution in, in, in front-end land. We don't remember that today because everybody's using bundlers. Yeah, that, that's, that's when we went from having uh, kilobytes of JavaScript download <laughs> to megabytes of JavaScript download. Yes. Thank you, Browserify and Webpack. Well, a, lo- a lot of that is because the way that it bundled it was not very smart. So say, for example you did something that used buffer, which is everything in Node. Uh, rather than using an implementation that would take, you know, like four or five lines of code, which you can do using A to B and B to A and escape and URI and code. And like, you, you, can, you can get this to happen using things that are natively available in the browser. But that's not the way that it got packed and transpiled I don't know why they made the choices that they did, but they kind of, instead of using browser functions, they kind of used like pure JavaScript to do some of these implementations. 
So they they re-implemented the wheel and then some on a lot of stuff. And Buffer is one of those modules where it was a little overzealous, I believe, and that it kind of like even copied the bugs of Buffer, which are not, I mean, from my perspective, if you're trying to get something to run in the browser, it would be acceptable that it fail if you're using like an obscure feature that is deprecated or whatever. But like everything about Buffer, every little nuanced detail about Buffer was replicated in like this pure JavaScript without using any of the native browser things that had been there since like, you know, 1998. And, yeah, and- but I, I think you're going down, down I, 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 you're right, but I think you're going down the wrong rabbit hole here. I think that the, the main issue is the developers tend to just use the path of least resistance whenever they're developing anything. And if I know yes. that uh, Moment.js happens to do, uh, to do what I need to do in terms of uh, date t- uh, working with date and time, and it's so easy now, thanks to browser, first Browserify and now Webpack, to bundle in Moment.js, then I will bundle in Moment.js. And because uh, uh, I'm not a specialist of, about how to configure NPM, I end up uh, bundling five different versions of Moment.js into my application, and before I know it, my download size is 600 kilobytes. Even well, though my own That's code, a pretty lean site by today's standards. Yeah, even though my own code is only, I don't know, 20 kilobytes of, uh, of minified code because, you know, I've never actually wrote more than that. But again, I think we're kind of straying away from, from the main topic here. Right, because Browserify did try to, try to do two things, emulate Node and, 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 pack, and bundle. Webpack came and, 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 and basically killed Browserify because it tried to do only one thing, bundle. It didn't care about Node, which makes sense historically because back in the days when Browserify started, all the NPM packages were Node. Now, in the Webpack days and roll up and parcel, like I'm guessing that 90% are front-end in NPM. So I, I think what you're saying is totally true, but the reason that happened was, was historic, and, and Browserify is basically um, not really used anymore, so it's a moot point. But, but the interesting thing is that the front-end people started using CommonJS. And not only that, they used the CommonJS node resolution module. So they didn't write foo.js like the browsers. They just wrote foo and lodash and used bare specifiers because that is how Node.js works. This is how CommonJS works. And then came the webpacks of the world and, and the babels of the world, and they didn't want to use require. They wanted to use ES module syntax. So the webpacks of the world and the babels of the world just said, hey, why, why not ditch require and just use the import-export syntax and still bundle? And this is what we have in browser land, in front-end land today, not in browser land. Front-end land uses the import syntax, but uses the resolution module of CommonJS. So when you're doing import lodash, the bundler goes and looks at node modules and, and all that package JSON and looks at everything to find it just like Node.js would. And when you're writing import from foo, dot slash foo, it goes and looks for dot slash foo.js. So we have front end land using ES modules, but with a node resolution, with, with, you know, with finding modules the way node. And we have the browser land not doing that. So front-end land is using bundlers, but cannot migrate to browser land. They can only bundle because their module resolution 
is different. So this is this is like ironical in that it, it basically the front end people implemented ES modules a bit too quickly uh, in some ways. They did it before browsers did, and when browsers did it like the right way, there's no going back. Well, not yet. But we'll talk about how how this will happen. But we basically now have three module systems, common JS and Node.js, transpiled ES6 modules that work a bit like common JS, and browserland ES modules, which you know just use uh, relative paths. Right now, many of you are stuck at home, but eventually everything will open up. All right, listeners, let me ask you a question. Wouldn't you rather work from home instead of a cubicle or a noisy open office? Need to negotiate with your team and convince them to let you do it? Well, I have the perfect book for you. It's by my friend Will Gant. It's called Remote Work, Get a Job or Make a Career Working from Home. He's a proven author, software developer, and professional consultant with over 20 years of experience in a variety of roles, and now he wants to share his trade secrets with you. In remote work, you'll discover how to save more time, money, and mental energy each year, how working remotely can give you and your company a competitive edge in the market, managing your physical health, mental health, career goals, and relationships. You'll also get the ultimate list of tools and resources to help you transition into working remotely and much more. This is the perfect time to test out if working remotely is for you. And if you enjoy the freedom of working anywhere you want, then you can pick up your copy of Remote Work on Amazon today or click the link below in the show description. Now comes Node.js native modules and introduces a fourth option. Remember, we have browser land, which just uses relative paths, but you have to specify the whole path. We have require, we have common JS, which uses require, and where you don't have to specify the whole path. And we have transpiled ES6, which is used front-end land in bundlers, which uses the syntax of ES6, but not the module resolution. So you don't have to specify the whole path. Now come node ESM. One of the prime directives of the designers of Node ES modules, when I'm talking Node ES modules, I'm talking native, not transpiled. They wanted to be as browser compatible as they could. And that is an important thing. What did that mean? They mean that just like CJ said, uh, AJ, sorry, they did not accept foo. They had to have foo.js, dot slash foo.js. So in ESM land, in Node, you have to, when you're importing, you have to import dot slash foo.js and not dot slash foo. So that's one big difference. And a prime directive, that, that is one of the main reasons Node ESM is so different from, from common JS in, in Node.js. So that, that's, that's like a bit of a history of, of, of the order of things and why things happen. I have a lot more to talk about in, uh, on the Node ESM side, but if you have any questions uh, to now. Aside from your describing some things that I also discovered for myself, some of them the hard way, other than that, it's pretty clear to me. Right. So, so, so basically, that, that was Node's prime directive. Let us be as browser compatible as possible. But they had a problem. They had a big problem because browsers, uh, remember we have script and module. Browsers have that distinction between script and module. So we, we talked about the fact that a script can't do an import, uh, but there are other differences between script and module. For example, a module is always strict mode. It, it can't be sloppy. If, if you know the distinction between strict mode and, and sloppy mode in, in, in JavaScript. 
You're referring to use strict, right? Yes, use strict, exactly. So a module is always use strict, and I think you can't go back. So you can't do use sloppy. No you use. cannot. There is yeah. no way to, yeah. uh, to undo a use strict within right. a block. Moreover, this means that, for example, global this, the, the, if you use this in a global scope, it's undefined in a module. Whereas if you use this in a global scope in a script, it, it's, it points to something you know, in the window object and in browsers and in Node.js. I don't even remember what. So do modules actually define the global object or is that still something where you have to do like window.function, eval, whatever, whatever? Oh, uh, ES2020, which is implemented in, I think, all the browsers and in Node.js, defined this horribly, horribly named thing called global this. Global this is the new global window it works both in Node and in all the in all the browsers. It's uh, it's not a global window; it's the global object or the global context. Yeah, but but it's it's basically just like window in the browser and yeah, global in, in, in the Node browser it's window exactly. Yes. Yeah. So now we've got three globals in Node. We've got global, uppercase <laughs> yeah. global, and global this, and I bet they all have different properties on them. <laughs> no, I think they're the same. I didn't know about uppercase global. Wow, that's that's new, interesting. But yeah, yeah, just like in Browserland, you have window and you have uh, global this. Um, but you know, they wanted to use global. They really wanted to use Node's global, but uh, it didn't work for other reasons. So they invented this horribly named global this. Because like one out of every thousand websites had a variable called global, but only one out of 10 million websites had a variable called global this. Exactly. Something like that, probably. So the browsers know, understand the description between script and module. And the ESM designers and Node.js wanted the same thing because they wanted to be as browser compatible as possible in Node-land. So they defined CJS as script, which it is. So it's sloppy by default. And they decided that ESM, ES modules will be, well, modules. But that's a problem. Because now, when Node has to parse a file, it needs to know whether it's parsing a module or a script, because the parse is different between the two. Now comes the controversial part in Node ESM. Just, just to give an example of where the parse is different, for people who don't remember, the with keyword is supported in script and is not supported in uh, in modules. So that's oh. just uh, an, an additional example. So yes, parsing needs to be different between the two. Why well, I, I didn't know that about with, but yes. And there's there's certain errors that in in sloppy mode it'll do it PHP style where it just encounters the error, says nothing, and keeps going to the next line. And in in strict mode those errors become hard errors that actually get thrown. And I think that may originate from like ES1 or so back before try-catch was defined. I'm not, I'm not sure about that. Don't quote me on it. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll send Brendan Eich uh, uh, along your way. So, so, so they, they needed a way to figure out when importing or requiring a file, whether it's like module or script. And... They decided on, on a weird way. I think, I think it's the right way, but it is very controversial. They decided that it, it, it's defined by extension. So JS is script, it's CJS, and uh, MJS, uh, what I call Michael Jackson script, uh, or module JavaScript, is ESM. Uh, that, that is the birth of the MJS extension. 
And people got crazy about this on the internet. I mean, it was a very controversial decision. People 